Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm here to help you navigate nuanced conversations and explore topics that demand your attention and awareness. There is no topic off limits here. Together, we will seek to find the middle path, explore the polarities of darkness and light, left and right, grace and grit. As a writer, life coach, and seasoned yogi, I'm in the business of awareness and conscious action. I'm here to create space for the conversations that need to be had in order to create solutions that bridge the divide between humans. Sensemaking will use practical, logical, philosophical, and spiritual tools to help us gain well-rounded perspectives on issues that strike a chord. Let's get started. Instagram. I have a very special guest here tonight. I have Mr. James Top here with me. He is marching across Canada. Um, say hello to the people. Hello everyone in Instagram land. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Uh, great. I see Christy hopping on already. Amazing. So uh, I'm super lucky here. I'm really excited to have uh, James. I, I, I tuned in right away when I saw him in Vancouver. Uh, James, can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what it is that you're doing marching across Canada? Yes. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm James Hop. I'm marching across Canada. Um, I am uh, a soldier, um, Canadian citizen. Uh, I was uh, in the regular army for 28 years, uh, transferred to the reserve force uh, in 2019. So that basically I went from full-time armed forces to part-time. And that enabled me to pursue a career in the public service where I was working uh, as a civilian with um, the RCMP at a training facility in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Uh, and then around the time of the announcement of um, requirements for federal government workers to be vaccinated, um, you know, I, I, I was concerned. And then um, I, you know, at that time already there was, uh, you know, there was a certain amount of tension within uh, the, you know, the federal government worker community, both in the D&D and with RCMP. Um, and it just uh, grew and grew until we had uh, certain deadlines that were required to be met. Uh, you needed to have your first shot by October. And then if you didn't have your first shot or if you did fail to disclose your vaccination status, um, by the middle of November, then you were going to be placed on leave without pay. So is as of 2021 in November, I was full-time um, working with the RCMP as a civilian. I just want to stress that because sometimes folks don't realize that, you know, I wasn't, I'm, I'm an army guy. I worked with the RCMP as a civilian. I was able to bring some of my experience from the army to the job I was working at. So having said that, um, the public service, the PSAC made the announcement um, like I said, you need to have your, your uh, vaccination or you need to at least disclose it. And I had an uh, issue with both of those. Mainly it was, you know, the requirement to disclose medical information. I would rather not disclose. And also it was uh, this policy of uh, having, you know, the government um, tell me what I need to do to be healthy. And I don't need the government to tell me what I need to do to be healthy. 
So uh, vaccination aside, that's a secondary issue as far as I'm concerned. If you want to get vaccinated, go get vaccinated. And uh, I shouldn't have to, as a uh, matter of drawing a paycheck, have to disclose my vaccination status to anyone. So I was placed on leave without pay in the middle of November. And then I was subsequently informed by the Department of National Defense that I would be uh, being uh, released on uh, item 5F was a release code called item 5F. So that is stating that you um, are displaying an inability or an unwillingness to change a behavior. And the behavior was my failure to comply with the Chief of Defense Staff orders on uh, vaccination policies. So that happened. That was a pretty significant blow to me. Uh, I've said this before in previous interviews, as a young guy in the armed forces, I wasn't, you know, the model soldier back in the day, but, uh, you know, I managed to turn it around, spend a good uh, 20 years being a good soldier, doing what, I was, doing what I was supposed to do, going overseas, training the troops, doing the business, and for them to turn around and tell me that um, I'm going to be released on this kind of, uh, let's put it, uh, let's call it dishonorable discharge light, because it's not as bad as uh, other release codes where you have, um, you know, egregious bad behavior. But um, I was, uh, yeah, it, it, it affected me deeply and um you know and also at the same time i'm placed on leave without pay so i'm not getting a paycheck uh, i was saved by the fact that i do draw a pension from my time in the armed forces and uh, that was paying my mortgage so um you know i still needed to supplement that in order to um you know <laughs> pay bills and eat and stuff so I got uh, a job at <clears throat> in Hope, BC, where I live, uh, as a tow truck driver, and you know what really opened my eyes was the you know the Canadian public and what they do for a living and how hard they work and the fact that you know it's the Canadian public that is funding the federal government, which in turn is funding you know my paycheck, and it was just something I had always been aware of. But now seeing it firsthand, you know, as a member of the, you know, now, um, you know, being part of that as a tow truck driver, seeing what tow truck drivers do, you know, to, to bring in, to make, a, to make a living, you know, we just opened my eyes to a number of different things. And so now we have, um, you know, I'm still doing this job seeing what's at work here, seeing the division in place, this new uh, discriminatory practice that has been implemented by our own government. Um, spent, you know, better part of two years watching all this happen from March 2020 to the time I was placed on leave without pay. I had spent most of that time kind of, you, you know, like a lot of the folks who feel the same way we do, just looking at what's happening and not knowing what to do. And then, you know, at the same time, the kind of lifeline I saw was, was folks who were standing up early on and pointing out, you know, the, um, the hypocrisy of it and the illogics of the orders and all of this kind of stuff. And so I had really, I followed it, 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 you know, being at the time, though, working in the federal government, just kept, kind of kept my mouth shut, went along to get along. Um, 
not really realizing how far down I think I was I was pushed to the point where you know come um, January you know end of December like really being in a place where you know it was not uh, not uh, healthy so um, what happened then well then we had you know the truckers and the freedom convoy and then finally seeing a group of people you know, come together and stand up for themselves and they had the same issues and same concerns I did and just, you know, taking a stand and doing something really. And that, you know, kind of inspired me in a way. And um, I just felt like, you know, okay, how, you know, I, I was working in, in British Columbia. How can I be a part of this? Like, you know, I can support it. Um, and, and I don't know, I can't, I can't really speak to what inspiration I had to, you know, to, to take, to do this march, it just felt like I wanted to join in what was happening there. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to fly to Ottawa for obvious reasons, because, uh, you know, you're not allowed to fly if you uh, are not willing to talk about your medical information. And um, I just, I don't know, it was... Uh, there's a number of cultural deposits, I'm sure, that affected me and, uh, you know, made me come to this conclusion that I could I could do like a protest march. I could march from from Vancouver to to Ottawa. I chose a couple of different um, locations that had, you know, meaning to me in that, you know, with the, uh, you know, Vancouver, where the Terry Fox Memorial is. Terry Fox was doing the business when I was a real little kid and, you know, that inspired me in a way, not that I'm comparing myself to Terry Fox and I don't want anybody else to do that because he's, you know, the real deal and um, I'm, you know, doing what I'm doing. But he's, uh, you know, it was something, I think, and then I chose the, the War Memorial and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier because that's my kind of heritage and then what I saw happen to the veterans and I'm so proud of what they did and how they stood up and went there and stood shoulder to shoulder with the truckers and see how they were treated you know that was you know that was an outrage to me so all of these things kind of came together and then I went and um, made the announcement and uh, I did that in full uniform and that was done for several different reasons and one was to kind of demonstrate to all of my brothers and sisters, regardless of what uniform you're wearing, you know, you are a human being, you have rights, you have the ability to make your voice heard, regardless, um, you know, of what your chain of command is telling you, 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 are, you're in charge of your own destiny, nobody else. So despite the fact that you wear a uniform, you do what's right. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So I made that announcement, started on February the 20th. Um, as soon as I made that announcement on February the 12th, um, not, you know, I wasn't really aware of, you know, all these different communities and how they are all coming together until I made the announcement. And then it was like I was just really stunned at how, you know, the support just came forward right, pretty much right away. So I had folks join me online and helping me get a website up and running and putting uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts up and you know I came up with this idea of calling it Canada Marches and then you know I had other folks online um, one of the people I met her name is Shannon Eastman from 
she heard about what I was doing from Ireland, and she's a Canadian living in Ireland. And, uh, you know, it was just amazing to see all this happen. At the same time, we saw the Emergency Measures Act put in place, which frightened a lot of people off from, again, speaking out. And, um, you know, it just, it just something I didn't sit, didn't sit well with me that, you know, there's a number of folks out there, Canadians who are afraid of their own government. So despite all that, we uh, we got we got our stuff together as an organization. We at that point in time we were in the toddler phase of development, and then um, you know I really wasn't sure how things were going to pan out. Like I said, I met some of the some of the some of the people on my team for the first time on February the the night of the nineteenth. You know, Dallas Venue is one of them. Um, Jeremy and. Uh, um, uh, David, who was initially with us at the beginning um, with his RV, and he got us uh, as far as Hope, which was, uh, you know, an amazing accomplishment because, um, you know, we just came together over something that we all believed in, and we we did the business of marching from uh, the Terry Fox Memorial to Hope. And, um, you know, the guys who I met the next day on the 20th, the, the rest of the crew, like Dan and Christian, um, they've been with me since since February the 20th and we didn't know each other before that and uh, we've come together uh, quite nicely. Tyler joined us in Hope. He's from Williams Lake. Uh, Logan joined us in uh, Castlegar, British Columbia. Esther drove up, you know, she's a Canadian formerly from Saskatchewan. She drove up from Texas and, uh, you know, because she felt very strongly about what, was, what we were doing and how to make this happen. And then finally, um, you know, we had uh, uh, some folks had to come and go just because they have personal issues and they have families and stuff that they had to take care of. Ben and um, Beth joined us in Winnipeg. So, you know, this team that came together since February the 20th is, is, has uh, gelled and we you know, get along really well and turned into a little family. And we've been marching steadily since February the 20th. And um, it's, it's just, you know, where we are here, we crossed into Ontario um, a couple of days ago, and uh, we, we've covered, you know, 2,500 kilometers wow. uh, on foot. So how is it done? And basically, um, you know, we get up in the morning, uh, <clears throat> have breakfast, sort ourselves out go to the point typically we try to keep it within a half hour where we stop and where we bed down for the night and then you know 7 30 we're on the road we drive out to the point that we stopped at and then we start marching again so typically we're looking to get into 40 50 kilometers a day and that's what we've been doing for 80 days as of yesterday so today's day 80, day 81 we're on a break because um typically we'll march for uh five days and then take the sixth day off and it's, you know, needed, um, you know, um, I, I know there's a lot of uh, talk about uh, uh, some sort of robot, but uh, absolutely, um, I'm a human being, so I need that rest. And um, it's been a pretty incredible journey. Like, I have to say that uh, the, the folks that I've met on the way 
have opened their, their hearts and homes to us. They've been generous in donations and giving us food and cooking us meals. And we wouldn't have got here without the participation of everybody that we've met along the way. And, you know, I, I thought about it. You know, you have a lot of time to think when you're, when you're marching 10 or 11 hours a day. and <clears throat> Especially Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a challenge. It was a real challenge. I have to say that was uh, probably um, just as challenging as, as getting over the mountains in, in British Columbia. So mm. just because of the, the wind and the weather and, uh, you know, it, it was all good, good character building. And again, was, you know, we met some of the most generous and, uh, and, and great people there. Um, you know, I have to say that it's folks uh, on the Trans Canada after we, you know, got out of British Columbia, it became easier for folks to pull over and say hi and offer encouragement. And, you know, to this day, on if I were to put a number to it, you know, you're looking at, even if I'm giving a conservative estimate of five, five cars pulling over with folks jumping out and saying hi and stuff like that. You know, you're looking at hundreds of people now between Vancouver um, and, and, and Ontario who have, you know, felt that strongly that they were going to pull over and, uh, you know, say thank you for what you're doing and encourage me and, and stuff like that or, you know, give a donation or something. And it's what's kept us going. And, uh, you know, to, I, I think about it, if it had been like... <laughs> more people stopping to say, hey, stop what you're doing, uh, don't speak on my behalf, then I don't know if I would have got this far, but that hasn't happened. It's been the exact opposite. So um, why, why am I doing this? That Hopefully that wasn't too long-winded and uh, <laughs> bored everybody to death, but uh, I'm doing this because I'm protesting against these mandates that require um, you to have some kind of medical procedure, whether it's a vaccination, quarantine, isolation, or test to prove that you're healthy as to, so that you can draw a paycheck. And in addition to that, I'm protesting and I want to bring to light how federal government workers have been affected. And, and not only federal government workers, there's a number of you know, uh, people in the corporate sector who have been required to, you know, they've had to leave their uh, jobs um, because it was required or they objected to what was happening. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's th these policies that are dividing um, our society. I need to speak to that and I would need to speak to various people in um, our, our representative uh, House of Commons, our representatives in the House of Commons, so that they are made aware of exactly what is happening here and how millions of people have been affected by these policies. And number three, I'm doing it uh, so that I can speak out on behalf of all of the dudes, or sorry, the men and women in uniform who have had to, you know, because they didn't, they felt threatened in that they were going to lose a paycheck, a pension, or their, or their positions if they didn't um, comply. So, you know, I want to I want to speak on their behalf as well, because I know firsthand for a fact that a number of them only did what they did because there was this threat. Um, 
And regardless of the language being used by, you know, our health officials and others, this is this was the coercion. This was something that was people were threatened with. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And <clears throat> it's spoken um, about as if it's unity, you know, when the prime minister says he when he pats himself on the back about how many people have been vaccinated. Look how unified we are. But it's not unity because most of those people were forced or coerced or threatened. That's that's not people coming together. Exactly, and we know too that uh, uh, you know a lot of the claims that were made are not necessarily accurate with regards to all these different procedures, and um, um, you know it, it, the the truth is out there <laughs> to. Uh, um, for anybody who chooses to go and look for it. Yeah. Uh, however, um, what I'm seeing is, uh, like I said, is this uh, support for what I'm doing, um, even though it's not widely reported on. But it's, you know, it's getting out there slowly but surely. And it's like folks like you doing this or how we're going to get past the, the kind of blockade on information. Um that we're experiencing. So, um, and it's powerful what you're doing. Um, same with what the, the trucker convoy did, what the, it's powerful because we, the last two years have been authoritarian pressure on us to fall in line and don't step out of line to the point where it's not just our leaders telling us that, we're telling each other that. And if you don't fall in line, and if you don't comply, and if you don't buy into a certain way of thinking, uh, the people themselves are attacking each other. So mm -hmm. it takes so much courage and character to say, you know what, I'm actually gonna take a stand regardless of the consequences. I'm going to speak about this even though people are going to hate me. And I think that's something really worth paying attention to when when people think that people are protesting over something simple like a mask or a vaccine like it's so much more than that it's people's livelihoods it's their jobs it's their families um there there's so many reasons why they're doing it it's so much bigger than these little things and if people don't realize that you wouldn't be walking across the country for something small I wouldn't risk losing all my friends and family for something tiny like wearing a mask. Like, though, if you don't understand why someone like yourself is walking across the country, that that's really the question to ask. What would drive someone to do something so um, so enduring, like such a large project? Well, I think it's one of the things that I, you know, I did some soul searching. I asked one of my best friends, and you know, he was, um, I you know, was in the army with him for over 25 years, pretty much. And, um, you know, I knew it was something I could do. I spent, you know, I spent my adult life in armed forces in the infantry specifically. Um, you know, and that's what we did. You know, you went out there and you were physically challenged. Um, whenever you went out on operations or in training and I, you know, had I had managed to keep myself in shape over the years, so you know it was something I, I was pretty sure I could do, and in a methodical fashion that we're doing it in, and um, you know I think that that's a good question, and that I 
realized what was happening fairly early on in that this is um this is the conditioning of a population to accept more and more restrictions and more and more um um you know authoritarian measures in the name of uh, health which is going to as far as i'm concerned transition into into other things and I think that's one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about this, because, you know, if we had looked from where we started at, uh, you know, March of 2020 to where we are now, um, who would have thought we would have got here? It's this, this been this, you know, tiptoe, as they like to say, from masking and social distancing to now we have a full blown discriminatory apparatus in place in a lot of our institutions, from the federal government to academics to the corporate structures, right? Um, you know, if, if anybody thinks that just because, you know, some of the mandates like are being lifted temporarily that, you know, everything's gone back to the way it would or should be, um, I beg to differ because if you are of the mind to travel on an aircraft and you don't want to disclose your vaccination status, then you're not going to be able to travel on, a, on an aircraft. And there's a lot of people who don't believe that because they don't hear it mm -hmm. on the news. Mm -hmm. But this is a fact. And quite, you know, I can speak to the fact that um, nothing has changed with regards to my employment situation uh, <laughs> because um, I still haven't been invited back to work. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So we do have this system that's been put into place. And... Um, what I would say too is that one of the things that's compelling me or compelled me is that, you know, what's, what damage has been done to, to the Canadian society in that, you know, we've got this portion of people who now are, you know, been convinced that their own flag is something that they be, should, should be ashamed of. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of apathy out there and I can understand it because folks just want to live their lives and, and, do what they always do and then it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal wear a mask stay at home take a shot and what i would ask of them is how far do you think this would go if you just stand by and do nothing um so i'm going to give you an example in the federal government right now and with the with dnd as well because they are federal government employees there is a system in place where you have to make a <clears throat> what's called an attestation as to your vaccination status. So if you don't disclose your status, then it's, or, or you're unvaccinated, this is something that you are required to do on this, um, you know, on a government website. So um, you have to do that with your first shot and your second shot. And you have to, as you know, the root word of attestation is testify, testify to your vaccination status. So, um, where's it going to go from there? You're going to have to make an attestation for your third shot, your fourth shot, and then what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's no end. I, I could understand in the beginning that this was a particular uh, set of measures that we had to do for a particular period of time. But what's very clear to most of us now is there actually, there, there is no end date. 
Um, and, and you're right, once you do one thing, they absolutely will encroach on the next thing. And at this point where we're at, it's, it's ridiculous that we do have these same sort of measures, uh, knowing what it is, knowing that most of us have had it at this point or have been vaccinated, like it, it really is time to move on. And it's very clear that the government will not be moving on and that there is something new. So at this point, like if Canadians aren't concerned or they don't understand that there's something in the air, uh, you're, you're really just not looking. Um, I, I've posted about what's going on in terms of authoritarianism or tyranny before, and I've had people come at me just saying, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not what Canada is. And what I remind them is it's maybe not where we're at today, but it's absolutely the path uh, where we're headed. And like, what is an authoritarian country? Right now, Canada's not. Uh, there are authoritarian countries. How do you know if you're authoritarian? Well, you can uh, protest. You could talk badly about your leaders. Uh, you could have a gay pride parade, I heard. There's a few different things. But look how closely we are to losing all those things. Can you protest? Well, not really. They're starting to jail and beat people. We saw that with the trucker convoy. Um, the only thing that I, that I think separates us is a very thin little line called freedom of information. The second you take away free speech, um, we will absolutely slip into authoritarianism. We are just a hair's distance away from that. And the bills that are being created right now are taking that away. And like you said, you're doing this massive project right now and you're not gonna see that on the CBC. They're making sure that people don't know that this is happening. And again, it's because it's honestly so powerful what you're doing. They don't want people to think, hey, I can do something. Hey, I can stand up for my rights. That is a really dangerous thing to the people in power right now who want us all to just be quiet and go along with everything. Absolutely. And to that point, um, <clears throat> this is, you know, if, if you can look at uh, the le some of the legislation that is going into play place with, you know, controlling uh, the Internet, quote unquote, um, you know, and, and what is printed and who's allowed to say what and who's allowed to you know report on news and stuff. Absolutely. This is, um, you know, you can you can sit here and say, well, you know, there's no authoritarianism here, but it's uh, definitely uh, coming and it'll be the soft type where we're already at a point now, despite all of that, where folks are already censoring themselves and they are, you know, afraid of speaking out on certain things because they don't want to get um, any light shot on them, which is unfortunate as well, because we should be a free thinking, um, free speaking society. Like, and I'm, I'm saying this from somebody in, in spent a lifetime in the armed forces. I don't want to see, you know, a society where our people are afraid of their own government. Mm -hmm. And we are. There's people fleeing Canada. That That is where we're at. And that's not alarmist. They have very real reasons for for fleeing. What What is your best case scenario? Like, you make it to Ottawa. What What's the best case scenario of, of how this march goes? Well, this is a question I was asked 
frequently in the beginning because this a lot of what I did at the beginning was kind of instinctual and I wasn't able to clearly articulate anything um, you know about the hows and the whys and it you know occurred to me after okay well lots of folks would ask me okay so you're gonna do this marching to Ottawa and then what and so what we did um, was I wrote a personal letter <clears throat> to every member of parliament um, and senator and I, you know, I put, uh, you know, this, this kind of organization that we call it, that called us out, Canada Marches. I said, this is me. This is what I'm doing. This is how the mandates affected me. This is how the mandates are affecting other government workers. I'm speaking out on it. I would like your at attention and your audience. So that when we get to Ottawa in, you know, by the end. So first of all, we put a placeholder date of June 22nd. Um, it's, it's unlikely I'll march in on that time. I might have to get driven in to make that date if the, our, our politicians and officials are not going to remain flexible because I know now that there is a summer recess pending. So um, if, if, that, if that's the way it goes down, that's the way it goes down. I'm, I'm ultimately going to probably get the audience of some members of parliament um, and we're going to have a conversation. I've already made up a list of agenda items that I want to speak to them. So the best case scenario is that the members of parliament who choose to meet with me between the 22nd of June and the end of June, which is why when I intend to kind of get into Ottawa, um, we're going to have um, the, the following points to talk about. We're going to talk about reinstatement of federal government workers and for the government to put pressure on corporate um, organizations to rehire their workers who were laid off um, due to their, you know, follow, they're following their own consciences. Uh, we're going to talk about restitution for wages lost, and we're going to talk about uh, reanalysis and uh, reexamination of how the measures that were used since March and. Um, what they have done and what damage they've they've caused and the best way to fix all of that because at the end of the day um i'm not there to go and uh yell and scream or hurl insults or make a scene even though there's probably going to be a number of veterans who are going to be uh, arriving there with me which is uh <laughs> one of the things i'm looking forward to so what i'm saying is that um, i'm there to look for solutions to how we uh, to get us out of what we this this state that we're in basically so best case is we have this conversation there's a dawning of the light so to speak and uh in in the uh in the house of commons uh action is taken and uh these measures you know at least there is some some dialogue is established because this is what i've come to learn over the last 80 days of doing this is that canadians there's uh, the ones who choose to, um, you know, try to reach out to their government officials at the federal level and, and to a lesser extent, the provincial level. Well, I shouldn't say lesser extent, but regardless of what level of government, they have lost faith in the system. They have lost hope in their ability to affect um, any change within, within these uh, organizations. And um, it's unfortunate 
but uh, this is one of the things I'm I'm trying to demonstrate with this with this action is that you can reach out. It takes persistence, it takes perseverance and determination, and it takes you organizing with people that you think are of like mind and feel the same way. And putting your voices together to make them heard and not just getting discouraged um, too easily because, um, you know, you can do something. You can stand up, you can make your voice heard. And and if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it together because that's how um, this is, we're going to make change. So it's not just me going there, uh, doing this thing and going there. I have my team with me and I have people like yourself and other folks who want to meet me in Ottawa. And we're going to together make our voices heard. So the best case scenario, we go there, do that. Is it going to be a um, something that happens very easily? Probably not. Um, but at least if we get a discussion started, because that was something that didn't happen back in January, right? Mm -hmm. At least that in some way, shape or form, you know, the government now will have the opportunity to demonstrate that um, there still is a connection between what goes on in the House of Parliament and the people who work there and the Canadian public for whom they represent. Because what this is what I'm seeing, you know, in addition to this outreach and um, the support that I'm getting, I also, there's folks who are leaving the country or they want to go live off the grid. They want to escape from something. And um, what I want to demonstrate is that we need to come together in order to prevent this kind of you know, worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I'm. Um, mm -hmm. That's the best. So to answer the question, the best case scenario is we all come together to prevent the worst case scenario. If that makes any sense. Well, and what you're asking sounds like my friend Malin Baker says dangerously reasonable. Like, can we actually have a conversation about this? And it really just is reminding myself that democracy actually is on the table right now. Like we're we're about to lose it and I don't think people quite understand that people forgot that in a democracy the government works for the people and we have forgotten that and we're letting the government dictate and control every aspect of our lives and like you said it's not the government's responsibility to tell me what to put in my body um, what to put in my children's body. There is extensive government overreach, no matter what side of this argument you sit on. And if people don't get involved, um, we're not going to live in one. And getting involved doesn't mean you have to march across Canada or be a loudmouth like me and have a podcast. But it does mean getting involved, educating yourself on the political system, writing letters, talking to your MP, having conversations and being brave enough to actually say what you think, whether that is one on one or on an Instagram live, because to everyone that is feeling like they need to just hide right now, it's not going to go away. It's going to get much worse. You're not actually saving yourself or protecting yourself of any. You're, you're going to make things much worse for yourself in the long run. Yeah, and I think too that we're at this point where, um, you know, I, I for, for folks um, like yourself, you're doing this, I'm in a unique position to be able to, you know, march across the country. <laughs> um, but it doesn't, it's, it's like you said, you don't have to do something um, as um, arduous. You can also, 
take take action what's stopping you okay from getting into um organizations like um you know school boards or or you know city councils you know things like that like get a toehold in there and uh see how these system works and and starting at the the lower levels and, and working yourself up there's nothing stopping you mm-hmm. from doing that as well and i think it was uh, mutual acqu- uh, acquaintance sarah swain mm-hmm. uh, i think she told me about that and also um um Lana Nichols from uh, Taking Back Our Freedoms has said stuff like that. So it's these, mm-hmm. even at the, the local levels, you can make a difference. And, and if you think you have the ability to affect change or make your voice heard, and you can join us, you know, like I said, a city council, school board, whatever. Like, I mean, um, you know, go wait in there and make your voice heard and do what you want to do to... to uh, Stand up for yourself and your community. It's been my experience too that the pain of not saying anything and hiding that, because I was there for the first year, versus the pain and uh, any kind of consequences that I got from speaking out or getting involved in the school board. Uh, you get pain either way. It's just which one do you choose? And I can say from personal experience, the pain of pretending and hiding my voice, that was way worse than any kind of consequence I ever could have had by actually uh, standing in integrity and talking. <laughs> yeah, and, and to that point, like, I mean, I didn't just, uh, and probably the folks with me, we didn't just get, um, How, how do I put this? Uh, it, it didn't happen overnight. You know, we, we thought about it. We wrestled with our inner demons and we had these visions of worst case scenarios and best case scenarios. And um, um, I'll tell anybody who's having this, this uh, who's grappling with their fear right now. And it's not, it's not something uh, I say lightly. It's, it's uh, coming from the heart because, it, you know, I can't just say to somebody, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. It's not how it works. We all have fear, and uh, it, it's it's something that you have to come to grips with, and you can't push it under the water. It just resurfaces. So what can you do? Well, you gotta make you gotta make peace with your fear. You gotta make friends with your fear. It's there to help you in a lot of cases. It keeps you grounded, and it prevents you from doing stupid things from time to time. Um, but in some cases it hinders you because it just fills your head with um, delusions about uh, the worst things that can happen and, and it's not always the case. Sometimes you um, you do what you think is right despite the fear and it comes to the fact that um, it comes to the point where you get uh, the courage to take action and when you do that it's fairly it's fairly liberating i gotta say mm-hmm. yeah um if people want to find out uh more about what you're doing or uh where you are can can people find where you are right now 100 percent. so canadamarches.ca is one word that's the website we have a gps link there and uh, you can click on it and it uh i have a, a spot tracker on my backpack and it sends a satellite signal um, when it's on, we turn it on during the day when we're marching. 
and um, you can find out exactly where I am and uh, how fast I'm going pretty much <laughs> by, uh, by clicking that link. And then uh, at the CanadaMarches.ca, there's also links to like the YouTube channel and our Instagram page, Facebook, Twitter, and a couple others. I'm not uh, too sure of which ones, but they're out there. We're out there on the internet. Uh, there's also the YouTube channel, James Top, which is, um, you know, this is the sign of the bizarre reality that we're in right now. I have a YouTube channel, which I never expected <laughs> to happen in my life, but here we are. So um, there's that. Yeah, there's, uh, I'm also, um, yeah. And then you, or you can, if you're, if you're driving between, um, Across the country, you can see me on the highway. We're typically out there five days a week. Bring and snacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, James. Well, thank you so much. I hope uh, if people get anything from this, it's, just, it's honestly just to be brave. If you can walk across the country, they can write a letter. They can have that conversation with their friend. They can at least speak their mind. And the more of us that are doing this at whatever level we're comfortable with, uh, the better things we'll get. Yeah, and just I just want to say something about that for a second because being brave, it doesn't mean you know you got to take that um, you you know that huge plunge right off the bat. You can work yourself into it. You take little steps, and um, you condition yourself. The first step to do for you to be brave and and to have courage is to look at yourself in the mirror and and just ask yourself what you're capable of and what you think you're capable of. You don't have to go and. Um, um, do something huge right off the bat. It starts. It starts with you and and having a conversation with yourself. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>
talking about those things that you really actually care about, you're just never going to find your people. And you'll just be creating these cages for yourself where you can never really talk about the things that you want to. So although it's scary (laughs) and although it's uncomfortable, if you took anything from this podcast, I hope it's that it's okay to talk about those things that are important to you. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. It helps us a lot. Share it with your friends, and I'll see you guys next time.